Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time. Your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. School of Humans. This show follows the investigation of serial murders and contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion advised. In June of 2016, while Marinda and her two children were locked up in custody in Krugersdorp, the South African Police Service hastened its investigation. They had LaRue and Marcel on solid charges, including photographic evidence that showed them taking money out of accounts belonging to two of the murder victims, Anthony Schofield and Hanley Lodigan. Initially, Marinda coached them to keep feeding the cops the story that they had been working for drug dealers. The kids knew that not doing as they were instructed was a matter of life or death. Eventually, Marinda and Cecilia decided that LaRue should take the fall. LaRue Stein made a confession that he's the only person that kills the appointment murders. LaRue and Marcel's statements were taken on June 25, 2016, two days after the arrest. Detective Ben Boysen was briefed on this interview and read LaRue's statement. The seasoned investigator wasn't buying his story for a second. With him being about 65, 70 kilograms, it's impossible that he would have been able to kill the two men, pick them up, load them in a vehicle, drive away with that vehicle. Um, He's not strong enough to do that. It's totally not possible. Both Marcel and LaRue remained in custody, but the police needed more serious charges to keep Marinda behind bars. When there was no new evidence to report after a few days in jail, Marinda had her day in court. The case involving the pot plant was delayed, making way for the larger claims against her, like insurance fraud and murder. When she got out, Marinda immediately filed her third lawsuit against the police for wrongful arrest. This time, 
She promised LaRue that she would push for resolution and use any award from the claim to bail him out. It was starting to look like the Krugersdorp killers would once again walk free. But Detective Ben Boysen worked overtime to make sure that didn't happen. The case quickly took over his life. I took one of my rooms in, in my house and I made that the war room. And I, I, I started working there at night. I never rested, you know. Sometimes my wife will wake up two o'clock in the morning and I'm not in bed and she comes in there and take me on my ear and take me back to bed and said, listen, you need to go and freaking sleep. It didn't take long for Ben and Manny Victor's task team to connect the dots between LaRue, Marcel, Marinda, and Cecilia and to recognize the mayhem that EPD had been adjacent to for the past four years. Digging a little deeper, they discovered the open claim with Discovery Life. Cecilia was waiting to collect Zach Valentine's insurance payout. And at that stage, Zach Valentine was still missing because they thought he was dead, uh, burned out in Pietrestein. Which then led them to look into Jared Jackson's murder. The details surrounding his death also appeared immediately suspicious in Ben's eyes. His arms was full of cutting marks. He only had socks on, no shoes. It cannot be suicide. Something happened before this. Soon enough, there was a warrant out for Zach's arrest. And on June 26th, just one day after LaRue's confession, the task team received an anonymous tip. Someone matching Zach Valentine's description had been spotted. From School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts, this is Queen Havoc and her murder cult. I'm your host, Kurt Kubitschek. Episode 9, Only Hope. For the six months following Jared Jackson's murder, Zach Valentine had been in hiding. When hotels got too expensive, especially without the insurance payout they'd been expecting, he sought shelter from a religious charity organization. Here's journalist and author Jana Marks. Zach has been lying low at Kiakaya, a Christian ministry. Since his arrival, Zach had been using an alias, Michael DeVillers. When law enforcement arrived at the ministry, they didn't find Zach right away, but they found his roommate. And at the time of his arrest, he was busy camping at Kiakaya's camping grounds. It was on a farm near Michalisburg. Upon viewing a photo of the suspect, the roommate insisted that the man they were looking for was named Michael DeVillers and that he was currently away camping. Two officers from Manny's war room headed to the location. Detective Hurt Kruger was one of them. On the place where he was arrested, he first gave up a name that, uh, not his real name. The task team was prepared. He had this lot of tattoos on his back. Now, I had a photo of that and I asked him to turn around to check the, the tattoos. And uh, then the game was over. They managed to ID him as Zach Valentine. That's also when he then admitted that he was indeed Zach Valentine. He was arrested on charges of fraud for faking his own death. Then, in another suspicious twist, when Ben went searching for information on the suspects, the case files from the first four murders had mysteriously gone missing. The 2012 murder cases that I eventually started investigation, 
all those dockets is missing. Till today, it's missing. Nobody knows where it is. Um, all the evidence that was taken into that 2012 investigations, everything is gone. So I had to restart that in 2016. So, after all that had happened in 2012, Ben had only three case files. One on the Jared Jackson murder, another on Joan and Peter Meyer being robbed and killed in their home, and after Zach's arrest, a clear attempt at an insurance scam. So I uh, opened a, a fraud case against Zach um, for the, trying to defraud Discovery. And um, then I start the investigations all on those three dockets. This fraud case was Ben's only real inroad. The only thing unquestionably linking all the perpetrators, Zach, Cecilia, and Marinda. And eventually, LaRue and Marcel, too. Marinda Stein went to Pieter Stein saying that she's the sister of Zach Valentine and she gave a false address false information for the people at the mortuary. And Cecilia Stein was the sole beneficiary of, of that discovery thing. And um, knowingly that Zach is now alive, um, they all were coerced to, to commit this fraud. On July 29th, 2016, Cecilia Stein and Marinda Stein were arrested for insurance fraud linked to the killing of Jared Jackson. So I luckily arrested them when I opened the fraud case. So they, nobody was on the street anymore except for John Barnard. Cecilia Stein was finally behind bars. And so was Marinda. This time, as it turned out, for good. Ben wanted to interview them right away. I thought when I arrested them, I arrested them for the murders. But I never arrested him for the murders. And then as soon as I start reading why I arrested them, you know, they changed. I couldn't believe that I, I, I now arrested them for fraud because I didn't have proof at that stage about the murders. They were being held in the precinct in Krugersdorp. He brought Christelle with him, as he often did. On weekends and after hours when I arrested or I interview women, I always take my wife with because she's a police officer and... There's always stories when you interview women alone, you are um, sexual harassment or, you know, you put pressure on them to, to say stuff. Christelle and Ben very quickly got a taste of Cecilia's manipulation tactics. First, she went for pity. Cecilia Stein was, was a freaking clown. She came in with a, a, a bottle, an oxygen bottle, and she sat down and it was a huge oxygen bottle. And as soon as I told her why I'm arresting her, she suddenly started breathing difficult. And I look at the bottle and I saw that the, the pipe from the mask to the bottle was not even connected. Then she went for ridicule. Ben and Christelle got a front row seat to the way Cecilia gnashed her teeth when she felt vulnerable. At one point, Ben was taking a note, trying to spell the word conspiracy and he casually asked his wife for help. And I said, how do you spell conspiracy? And she started laughing in my face and said, you're a fucking idiot. You can't even spell conspiracy, but you want to send me to jail. And I just told her, you know, the person who, who laugh lost, laugh the loudest. Then they pressed Cecilia 
about Zach and his relationship to his wife, Michaela. They had learned about Zach and Cecilia's intimate relationship. Ben tested her by saying that he found evidence that Zach and Michaela had intercourse the night she was killed, or the night before she was killed. And Cecilia went like, it's fucking impossible. From this silly clown, what, 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 she turned into and this a, vicious and, person. And her eyes changed. Her eyes. She physically transformed in front of us from this, See, you know, can't breathe and poor person. She said, it's fucking impossible. It won't happen. She it's was very, very aggressive. Yeah, she was very... And Ben said, but why wouldn't it happen? They were happily married. And she said, and then she came forward to him and she says, I'm telling you, it wouldn't have happened. Christelle chimed in pushing Cecilia further on this. And I said to her, um, but how would you have insight into what's happening in this marriage? And she turned to me again and she said, I'm telling you, it fucking didn't happen. Mm. And then all of a sudden someone else walked in. She went like this. Christelle shook her shoulders as she spoke, like a duck shaking water off its back. She, you know, shook like this and, and he's like, and okay, this next, is that calm. Next, next question, please. Yeah. So we saw that. I saw a, a change. The transformation. Meanwhile, Zach was desperately trying to get out of jail. All three of them were, actually. They had the right to apply for bail since their only charge was fraud, which is not a capital offense. But Ben kept fighting to keep them off the streets. And luckily, I fought all of their bail applications. Zach brought about eight of them. Bail would mean Zach could walk free. Once released, he'd be a likely flight risk, and the police might never see him again. They'd gotten lucky to find him the first time. Now, prosecutors were considering letting Zach walk. But because he was declared dead, it was impossible to give him bail because I'm going to blacklist him on the airports and stuff like that. So um, that was a fight, you know, um, between me and the prosecutor of the regional court um, trying to keep him in, in jail. During this fight, this back and forth with the state, fate finally played a hand in Ben's favor. Ben and Christelle are known as trusted cops in the community and got a number of tips from citizens of Krugerstorp anxious to end the murders. One in particular, though, led to a windfall. So one of the people that phoned my wife said, I must go to Rinda's classroom um, to see what's happening in her classroom. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. 
witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. On August 9th, 2016, Ben Christel and a fellow officer from the Kruger store police headed over to the high school where Marinda taught English. Turns out, we were there interviewing Ben exactly five years to the day that this happened. I actually arranged it for today. That's Women's Day in, in South Africa. Exactly today. exactly today. Because there will be no children in that school. The headmaster was resistant at first, explaining that Marinda was one of the best teachers at the school. The kids all loved her. Detective Ben Boysen casually threatened the headmaster that if he didn't comply, Ben could return with a proper search warrant on a school day and conduct his search in front of all the kids. The principal didn't have to think long. He led them down the empty hallways toward Miranda's classroom. It's a large room with multiple sections and storage closets with stoves in them. I searched the whole place, but I didn't know what to look for. I look for laptops, I look for papers, I look for photos, I look for anything that I can link to what they were doing. Ben almost gave up. The headmaster was skeptical of the cops, and Ben certainly didn't want to waste anyone's time. I couldn't find anything, and eventually I went to sit down with the headmaster, and I said, yes, sorry, um, it seems to me it's, it's false information. But something was still nagging at Ben. So before he left, he decided to take one last look around. We all stood up, and on the way out, I told another lady from Cruise of Detective Unit who was with me. I just want to go through all the rooms again. And I went into the rooms and I checked and I checked and eventually I went to the left front room. There was a lot of stuff laying around there, but there was these two stoves standing in the middle of the premises and something just told me, go and open the ovens. Marinda's room was a repurposed home economics classroom. And as soon as I opened the ovens, I found all this ammunition and machine to reload. Then the headmaster also turned and was on our side then, because he was not on the police side uh, from the beginning. He continued his search and discovered a bullet reloading kit, shotgun shells, 9mm bullets, and then red-tipped rubber bullets only used by specially trained police officers and soldiers. What was Marinda doing with guns and ammo? Some of which was from the heyday of South Africa's violent apartheid past. And in a high school, no less. How did a school teacher wind up with military-grade weaponry? When he was done, 
He lined up all the ammo on a school desk. The principal was shocked to silence. As the veteran cop stared at the amateur arsenal, he had a new concern. Were there cops helping these killers? The only people who have access to this kind of ordinance are people with a badge. The next domino fell that same day after he called the task team in to gather evidence from Miranda's classroom. Packed it out and we took photos and stuff and eventually, I think it was his wife, she's working in the offices there. She came to me and she said that I know that um, Miranda changed the will. I said, no, I, I knew nothing about it. Miranda had just recently changed her will. Things had unfolded so fast since Miranda's arrest. Plus, the 2012 case files were all missing, so Ben was doing his best to catch up. Asked the headmaster, will you give me the will? Otherwise, I must make a two or five application and, you know, force them to give me the will through the right channels. And luckily he said, no, man, I'll give you the will. Ben took a statement from the headmaster and his wife confirming that they were handing over this document of their own free will. As they signed the paperwork, Ben read over the will. While reading this will, I knew I've got now something to approach LaRue with, because in that will, she disowned the children, and she gave everything that is part of her life to Cecilia Stein. But before he had a chance to meet with LaRue, the task team made yet another breakthrough. They found the sort of hard evidence that would make prosecutors finally believe everything Ben had already suspected. Luckily, in the 2015-16 murders, John Barnard took his cell phone to all the crime scenes. Detectives Kruger and Violent had been busy tracing the suspects and discovered that pings from John Barnard's cell phone matched the murder map to a T. This was the smoking gun the cops needed. On August 18, 2016, John Barnard was taken into custody in connection with the insurance fraud and his involvement in the murder of Glenn McGregor. Here's Commander Hurt Kruger. We arrested John Barnard at his work, the Myers Printing Company. And while we were driving back, they called me and said, must stop. We stopped, and John just started confessing. Barnard confessed to being part of all of the appointment murders. I then got an officer to take his confession. It was his first confession that he made. After that, the investigating officer, Captain Boyson, then just had him repeated that confession in front of a magistrate, just to give it more power. And John was the first one that was convicted and the first one who went to prison. Finally, on August 19th, the day after John Barnard's confession, Ben sat down with LaRue. He baited LaRue, telling him that his mother Marinda's claim against the police wasn't going to pay out. There was no way she'd be able to save him from a life behind bars. He let that sink in. Then he told LaRue that Barnard had made a full confession at his arraignment hearing, implicating everyone. It was a smart move, Ben told LaRue the confession would increase his chances of getting a reasonable plea deal. Still, LaRue stuck to his story and took the blame for all the murders. Ben was still not buying it. For a young boy like that picking up a dead person, 
um, and load them into a vehicle, it, it's totally not possible. Not only did Ben immediately recognize the improbability of this claim, but he could see through LaRue, see the boy in him, a boy who was in way over his head. While I was speaking to him in prison, I've got the, the sense that he's protecting the people around him. At first, LaRue was agitated, tense, pacing like a caged tiger. Detective Ben Boysen is a father. He thought of his own son and how he could reach him when he was combative. Here's Christelle recalling his approach. She refers to LaRue by his nickname, Lex. Ben was friendly to Lex and he was kind to Lex and he was talking, you know, to Lex with respect. And that turned, ultimately turned Lex eventually to say, but listen here, you are giving me more kindness and love than I ever experienced from my mother. Ben knew that if he was calm with the wayward son and asked him why he'd done what he'd done, rather than scream at him, he was more likely to hear the truth from LaRue. He was right. I talked to him a lot and eventually I took the will out and I put it in front of him, but the words facing my way. And I asked him, whose handwriting is this? And he said, it's my mother because she's got a very, very nice handwriting, neat. And um, I turned the paper around and I said, let's read how much your mother loved you. Harsh, right? But Ben's instincts were guiding him. LaRue was apt to turn against his mother. Throughout his first couple of months in police custody, LaRue had been worried about his sister Marcel, who was also in custody. He wrote her a series of letters, pleading with her to come clean, not to take the rap for their mother, Cecilia, or any of the others. When Cecilia and Marinda got word that one of their puppets was turning on them, they tried to kill LaRue. Journalist Maritzka Kotzer was visiting him in jail around this time, reporting on the case. She recalled LaRue telling her about when his mother brought him medication. There was once where she apparently took him medication for his stomach, and it was supposedly two-step. So, you know, that is a poison that step one, you take it, and step two, you die. Can you imagine living in fear that your own mother wants to kill you? It appears that even in jail, LaRue wasn't safe from Cecilia's wrath. In Marinda's will, she attested, I, Marinda Stein, declare that I am of sane mind and wish to record my last wishes as follows. Every cent and property that I own and will become available at my death, I bequeath to Cecilia Stein, ni Seward, ni Brandt, to use as she sees fit, whether my biological children are still in jail or not, whether she wants to spend it on them or not, it totally becomes hers. As soon as LaRue heard about the change in the will, he broke down. Ben's compassionate approach had softened the edges, eroded the walls around LaRue's broken heart. And then that tears start coming out here and his lips start going like this and he start crying and then he said, fuck them, now I'm going to talk. And then he told me a lot of stuff, where the guns was hiding um, and stuff like that. And he told me about the 2012 murders. After the cathartic confession, Ben did his due diligence and got LaRue to repeat it in front of a magistrate. On their way back from the hearing to the jail, LaRue was exhausted. He fell into the sort of paralyzing exhaustion that is specific to the fallout from a world-crumbling realization. 
Once LaRue stopped seeing the world through the lies Cecilia and his mother raised him to believe, LaRue was free to face the truth of what his entire life had been and the grim future ahead. The silence hung heavy on the drive. Ben and Detective Hurt Kruger sat up front. They knew it would be a long time before LaRue would ever see the world again. Ben asked him, is there anything you need? And he says, yes, uncle, I'm hungry. Um, and Ben asked him, what would you like to eat? And Lex was very confused because he says that um, they could never decide what they wanted to eat. They always had to eat what Cecilia was prescribing um, because that was part of her power. And then he said, can I please have a pizza and a Coke? LaRue became emotional, recognizing something that had been missing from his life. Human kindness. When we got hold of Marenda's diary, she writes in her diary as if she's speaking to the person in the first person. And she wrote in her diary with regard to Lex and Afrikaans, but I'll translate it into English. She said, but you sold your soul for a pizza and a Coke. This was the beginning of Christelle and Ben kind of taking care of LaRue. They would continue to provide him with emotional support throughout the trial. And over time, they became bonded to him. LaRue even wrote letters to Ben while he was in prison. He had no one else. What she doesn't realize is that if you mean so little to your children that they are willing to sell you out for a pizza and a Coke, this is no indication of Lex, but it's indication of how poor mother she was to her children. And that is what she caused, not anyone else. Armed with LaRue's confession, Boysen and Hurt Kruger go to Cecilia's apartment. Upon entry, they find blood on the carpet. I saw the stains on the carpet. And then I got the police to come out and, and check the stains for me for blood. And then we found Caulfield's blood and LaRue's blood inside the premises. So the previous policeman that were about 10 times in that flat didn't arrange for, for that to be done. Ben and his team also confiscate a whole lot of illegal firearms and ammunition stashed in the walls at 17 Kasana Flats. LaRue had been the one to create these hidden panels. And there was a little gap between the cupboard and the wall, and they kind of broke one of the wooden panels. So for the length of the closet then, it, it made like a little... Like a little chimney hole, almost. And we like push it back and put the panel back there. So it looked like any other cupboard just, you know, going up to the ceiling. Cecilia's husband, Sergeant Dries Stein, an officer with the South African Police Service, was also arrested after the arsenal was found hidden in the walls of his home. All the firearms were illegal. He was only held for a few days and then released. The case against EPD would finally go to trial in 2017, and it would take two years to connect them to all the murders and officially see them convicted. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Journalist Maritzka Kotzer's book on the Krugerstorp killings walks readers through these events from LaRue's perspective. It's called Outcast. Like most people in Krugersdorp and many more across the nation, Maritzka had been following this story. Thanks to her press credentials, she was granted access to visit both John Barnard and LaRue in the late stage of the trial. Upon meeting the two men, it was immediately clear to her who her main subject should be. LaRue's the easy target, you know, because... I thought he had a little heart left. Maritzka also had a cousin who was locked up with LaRue, giving her a whiff of street cred, so he agreed to meet with her one-on-one. I got there, waited, I was scared, and then um, he actually agreed to see me, and I think it's because he knew my name, because of my cousin. And I remember the first words that he said to me was, Dachse. So it's something like good day, it's very polite. So I thought to myself, do murderers have manners? You know, I was really like, why is this guy so nice, you know? Mariska and LaRue had an instant connection. He liked metal music, he was into piercings, into tattoos. So when, you know, when I got there, I knew I only had a, a, a short time to win him over. So I said to him, I want to tell your story. But I don't want to tell your story like, yes, I committed the murders. I said, I want to, I want to hear your story. Like, I want you to tell me what you want to say. And that day he asked me my number and I gave it to him. In the months leading up to his sentencing, she and LaRue formed a tight bond that evolved into Maritzka becoming an advocate for him and Marcel. I mean, is there not one person that can see that this was child abuse? She conditioned them to be monsters. On December 14th, 2016, John Barnard took his plea deal. In exchange for testifying against EPD, his sentence was reduced from life to 20 years in prison. Charging the rest of EPD was a challenge. 
Now, keep in mind that in South Africa, it's a judge's courtroom. The jury system was abolished during apartheid, so the fate of each EPD member lay solely in the judge's hands. You make sure you, you bring the truth to the court in a watertight vehicle where you're the adjudicator of fact. That's Dion Van Vick. He's worked in the state's attorney's office for 30 years, 20 of which were in the high court, which is like the federal district courts in the U.S. He is currently a senior state advocate. At just under six feet tall, Dion Van Vick is an authoritative presence and has been doing this so long, he's extremely well-versed in the intricacies of South African law. And not to be confused with Captain Johan Van Vick, who you've heard from in earlier episodes. On the facts of, of the case that you guys are investigating, many crimes were, were perpetrated by various of her followers. But the challenge is to prosecute them all for each and every one of them to keep them liable, criminally liable, for all the offenses would be impossible without the, the tool of racketeering. Ben had a background in organized crime, so he developed a strategy to approach this rare, unprecedented prosecution. Then Vic says, according to the Prevention of Organized Crime Act, or PACA, Ben would have to prove that the crimes involved racketeering. Section 1 of our POCA Act creates that tool. You turn on proving an enterprise, which was easy to do. In this case, Electus Perdeus's enterprise was blatant insurance fraud, faking Zach's death to cash in on his policy. Secondly, how your, your factual association, it all depends on what, what level. Obviously, the main person will be the manager. You have sufficient evidence to prove that. Cecilia, being the sole beneficiary of the attempted fraud, made her the manager or ringleader in this act of organized crime. And then persons associating in activities to further the, the objectives of the, of the enterprise. And that was the key. This is how Marinda and her children were linked in complicity. The kids were working to carry out Cecilia's enterprise. For example, LaRue had made incessant calls to check on the claim for Cecilia. Then, he backed her up in the insurance inquiry video. And Marcel was an active participant in the robberies, the ATM withdrawals. From this angle, they were all enmeshed, involved in an ongoing conspiracy beyond a reasonable doubt. Still, this approach was unheard of at the time. Normally, you would not deploy racketeering on a, a murder case like this. But that was the only way to bring them all to book. And there's nothing barring us or barring the prosecution team in law to apply that. So that's a first in South Africa, as far as I know. Since it had never been used in a murder case before, it took a while to convince the judge that PACA charges held water for the prosecution. But finally, in February, the judge approved. Senior state advocate Dion Van Vick also illuminated for us, based on his years in the field, that organized crime at this level usually leads to murder. Keeping in mind that it doesn't matter in what sphere of organized crime you, you move. If your financial, your, your criminal benefit is big enough, people will die. Just to be clear, Dion Van Vick didn't work on this case, but we spoke to him to get some clarity on the racketeering stuff from an actual state official. 
While Ben developed this racketeering angle, he also gathered witnesses. I had 250 witnesses, actually. And I, I served 252 Sapunas three times. But we only used, at the end of the day, about 70 witnesses to testify. Many of the witnesses were reduced to tears. They were all emotionally broken and terrified of speaking out against Cecilia. As you've heard, Luke asked us to alter his voice and use an alias because he's still convinced that he's a target for testifying against Cecilia. Prison bars were no match for her. Not only did she speak of astral projection, but no one would have been surprised if she put a hit out on any of the witnesses or their families. Throughout the investigation, Ben received death threats warning him that if he didn't stop his pursuit of justice, he would be murdered by the Satanic Church. At one point, Brigadier Manny Victor got a tip that a one million rand contract had been offered to anyone that would take out Ben Boysen. That's about 50,000 US dollars. A suspect was eventually arrested and identified as the would-be hitman. Cecilia also came after Ben and Christelle's family. Since her first year in jail, um, one of the people she was incarcerated with was released. And um, she told us, she made a statement, she's coming from Krugersdorp, and she told us that Cecilia is planning on killing um, our youngest daughter. She took out a contract to kill our youngest daughter for revenge on what Ben has done. And then our youngest daughter had to move out of town and she's, she doesn't stay with us anymore. The court dates kept getting postponed for myriad reasons. A slow-moving justice system being one, but also because the 2012 case files were missing. LaRue's confession was not enough. Ben had to completely recreate reports on crimes that happened four years earlier, which took time. But remember, there was no dockets, there was no witness statements, there was nothing. So even if he tells me and he confesses all this stuff, I still need to go out and get evidence to prove what he said is the truth. And that was very difficult. And Ben's health had not improved. In fact, it was buckling under the pressure. Every time the court postponed, I had to serve all that Tsipunas again by myself. I became very, very ill. Christelle finally forced him to go to the doctor. I didn't want to go to the doctor because I know they're going to book me off and I can't be booked off because I still need to get information and stuff. And, and one morning I woke up and I was sitting on bed and I didn't have a voice. And she said, you're going to hospital to the doctor today. And I was so weak when I get to the hospital that I actually couldn't walk. Turns out he had pneumonia. But even during treatment, Ben kept working. So they brought a wheelchair to take me into the hospital. And as I, because the hospital was, is opposite Cecilia Stein's flats. There was suspicion that Cecilia had a friend working in the hospital pharmacy who would secure drugs for Cecilia and Electus Perdeus. I saw the chemist and I said, I, I still need you. I want to tell her, I still need a statement. Yes. And my wife freaked out. She said, no, since you warned everybody in hospital that they must not talk about the case with me, I must relax. And then eventually the doctor came to me and he said, you've got a overgrown heart. 
an overgrown heart. After a few days of rest, Ben was released. I wasn't supposed to go to work, but when I get home, I took the, the sick note, I tear it up, and I start working the next day again. My wife was very, very cross with me, but, um, you know, I knew that if I'm not going to see this cases through, that it's not going to, to work out nicely. So I forced myself to, to work. About a year into the trial, Jana Marks was working as a court reporter. I was working in court. So I was attending court cases and I was literally sitting in court every day. It would be different cases because cases get postponed. I was a digital journalist. It becomes difficult to see a trial evolving from start to end. I mean, it's not always possible because of the speed of the journalism that we practice. The case against EPD was moved to the High Court in May of 2018, and Yana was assigned to it. So I think from the very beginning, this really grabbed people's attention just because of the religion and also the normalization of what happened there. I mean, they, regular people being part of a group, oh goodness, now regular people are killing other regular people. We are so grateful for all the insight and expertise that Yana lent to this project. For over a year, Nearly every time these murderers took the stand, Yana was there, watching. She'll walk us through the trial in the next episode. We'll get her take on Cecilia, Zach, and the kids as they try to make a case for themselves. Marinda, too. Well, sort of. Yana also speaks to Cecilia's delusional style, which was on full display in the courtroom. Cecilia is very, you know, she's very lively and she tells jokes and that happens in court. Cecilia's charming personality is part of what makes her so terrifying. Even today, her shadow is buried deep. I know this because I met her. I like joking. I like, you know, um, having fun, laughing, um, Life is, is, is serious, and, and, and you can't be serious all the time. Um, it'll just make you depressed if you sit and think about life. On the next episode of Queen Havoc. LaRue cried when, when he was found guilty, and in front of his mother, he said, thank you, Captain, for sending this bitch to jail. On the stand, she lied Blatantly, I killed Reginald and I enjoyed every minute of it and went into great gory detail about how she did it and saying it had nothing to do with Cecilia. But he still sits there and thinks like, what if Cecilia can sneak into my cell and come and hurt me, you know? My cell was, was a bit different. I think the whole country's sympathy lay with my cell. And um, everyone believed her. Everyone believed in, in what she was saying. So. Queen Havoc and Her Murder Cult is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. Queen Havoc is hosted and created by me, Kurt Kubitschek. Produced and written by Jennifer Takini, Julia Kriskow, and Kurt Kubitschek. Lead producer is Julia Kriskow. Story editor is Zarin Burnett. Senior producer, 
is Amelia Brock. Production manager is Daisy Church. Original music composed by Claire Campbell. Editing, sound design, and scoring by Jesse Neiswanger. Associate producers are Dashin Moodley and Jermaine Kriher. Additional producing by Ben Melman. Fact-checking by Dennis Webster. Recording engineers are Graham Gibson, Clay Hillenberg, and Josh Hook. Brenda Stein was read by Angelique Pretorius. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, L.C. Crowley, Brandon Barr, Jennifer Takini, and Kurt Kubicek. We want to thank all of those who so generously welcomed us in South Africa and shared their stories. We're incredibly grateful to you all. We also want to acknowledge how traumatic these events are for the victims and their families. Please respect their privacy. If you or someone you know has been affected by cult behaviors, there are resources available, including Voices for Dignity at ChristineMurray.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.